السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته Can everyone hear me? Okay. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Rahim. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Al-Aqibatu Lil-Muttaqeen. Wal-Adwan Illa Ala Al-Zalimeen. Wa-Ashadu An La Ilaha Illa Allah. Wa-Hadahu La Sharika Lahu Ilahu Al-Awwalina Wal-Akhirin. Wa-Ashadu An Nabiyyana Muhammadan Abduhu Wa Rasooluhu Al-Mustafa Al-Ameen. اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على عبدك ورسولك محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد. So welcome to our lesson today with the Quranic progression. Inshallah Taala today we continue with the Tafsir of Surah Al-Ala, and last week we covered verses eight and nine of this surah. And in verse eight, Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala says, "When we yasiruk al-yusra, we shall show you the easy way." And we said that the vast majority of the scholars of Tafsir. Uh, said that the easy way is uh, the righteous deeds that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives someone the ability to perform or some of the scholars of the Salaf said that it is the path towards Jannah uh, and similar statements. Uh, and then in verse number 9 Allah says فَذَكِّرْ إِنَّ الذِّكْرَى So remind if reminding will help. And we mentioned a number of the statements of the scholars of Tafsir uh, concerning uh, this statement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala فَذَكِّرْ إِنَّ Remind if reminding will help this word in, which in Arabic is known as in a shartiyah, the in that is conditional, which is then translated into English as if, and what that exactly refers to. And we mentioned uh, the statements of a number of the scholars of tafsir, such as Imam Tabari and Ibn Kathir and others, Rahimahumullah. And we mentioned also some uh, detailed explanation of Sheikh Muhammad al Amin al Shanqiti. Rahimahullah Ta'ala as to what the linguists say that this in refers to in this particular verse and we said that some of them said that there is a uh, there is there are words that are understood by the context of this verse and that is that you say uh, remind if reminding will benefit and even if it doesn't benefit another said that it means when it will be beneficial another said uh, if it will be beneficial another said that it refers to choosing the time and the place and so on uh, and and all of those uh, issues we mentioned last week concerning the different meanings of the word in and the context that it appears in in the Arabic language. And we also mentioned that Sheikh Muhammad al-Amin was of the position that the verse should be taken, uh, that it should be taken uh, in, with its apparent meaning. And that is that the Prophet wasallam is only told and commanded to do that which is beneficial. So if we thought that there was uh, if you thought that there was no benefit in something, that there is actually no benefit in doing it, then uh, there is no point in commanding a person to do that which isn't beneficial. And we mentioned also the position of or, or the statement of Ibn Kathir and how he derived from this verse some of the etiquettes of, of reminding and, and, and spreading knowledge and so on. And how uh, from them is, for example, that you always address people according to their level and, and you start with what is most important and uh, there are etiquettes that are, that are, that are to be remembered and, and kept in mind when giving this type of reminder. So today inshallah ta'ala we're going to continue with verse number, uh, continue with the tafsir of the surah from verse number 10. So in verse number 10 Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم سيذكر من يخشى those who stand in awe of Allah Azza wa Jal will heed the reminder. That's the translation of Professor Abdul Harim. As Sahih International, he who fears Allah will be reminded. Mufti Taqi Uthmani, the one who fears Allah will observe the advice. And Muhammad Muhsin Khan, the reminder will be received by him who fears Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Allah Azza wa Jal in the previous verses we said Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave the command to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa then by extension those who are the heirs and the people who inherit from the Prophets والسلام, the people of knowledge and the scholars and so on Allah gives them all a command that they should remind that they should give the reminder and then Allah in verse number 10 mentions the people who will benefit because Allah says remind if it will if the reminder will benefit 
who are those people will, who will definitely benefit? It is those people who have the khashya of Allah Azza wa Jal. They fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They are conscious of Allah Azza wa Jal. They stand in awe of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Qatada, rahimahullah ta'ala, the famous scholar of the tabi'een from the students of the like of, likes of Anas, Ibn Malik radiallahu an and others, he said, rahimahullah ta'ala, fear Allah. For no one fears Allah except that he is reminded of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And you can therefore see that it is a circular thing. It is a circular thing that reminder is something which increases you in fear of Allah azza wa jal. And the fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then leads you back to constantly being aware of Allah azza wa jal and remembering him subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so the believer is someone who always, and that's why our sharia is full of numerous hadith as we know. And, and, and uh, many verses in the Quran also the numerous hadith that speak about the virtues of dhikr and the rewards of dhikr and the and the uh, and the different ways and manners in which the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam would constantly remember allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and when he was asked sallallahu alaihi wasallam concerning one of the paths towards success he said let your tongue never get dry from the remembrance of allah azza wa jalla let your tongue never be dry from the remembrance of allah or always let your tongue be moist with the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam would actively encourage his companions to make dhikr of Allah azza wa jal. And so whether that's tasbih, saying subhanallah, or alhamdulillah, or la ilaha illallah, or Allahu akbar, la hawla wa la quwwata illa billah, all of these, there are numerous ahadith that speak about the virtues of them and the, and the many benefits and blessings uh, that a person attains from these types of adhkar and from these types of remembrances. Or whether it's the recitation of the Quran or the adhkar that we make, for example, in the morning and in the evening, and the different du'as and adhkar that we have for for throughout the day, from, from when you wake up and when you go to sleep and when you enter your house and leave your house, enter the masjid, leave the masjid, go to the bathroom, leave the bathroom, eat, and after eating, and so on and so forth. Each and every single one of those has adhkar and has other things connected to it. And no doubt the person who's constantly in the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's someone who therefore is always conscious of Allah Azza wa And a person who is constantly conscious of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is more likely therefore to be someone who abides by Allah's commands, stays away from his prohibitions subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so this is something which Allah Azza wa mentions. And that therefore increases a person in khashya, increases them in, 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 in consciousness of Allah Azza wa fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that fear of Allah Azza wa will then lead a person that state of constant Awareness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then leads a person to increase in the dhikr of Allah azza wa jal. So that person then increases in the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is something which you see when a person, the more mindful they are, the more conscious of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala they are, the more likely it is that they will remember of Allah, remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, if you like, automatically or without having to go through a thought process or be reminded and so on. And so for example, someone who's constantly has this tarbiyah, has this upbringing, has this type of education that they should constantly thank Allah and remember Allah Azza wa Jal and the first thing that should come to their mind at different times and places is the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala you will see that those are the people who for example when they sneeze automatically they will say Alhamdulillah when some calamity befalls or strikes or some hardship the first thing that comes from their mouths even before they're reminded or they have to sit and listen to a lecture or a reminder or be told or prompted the first thing that they will say immediately is inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi raji'un for example or when some good news comes to them they are people who constantly praise Allah azza wa jalla and say alhamdulillah these are things that when our children are young it takes time or when we are young or when we first start practicing it takes time to build in to our psyche and into our way of thinking but there comes a point when that becomes something like second nature becomes something which is which rolls off the tongue because it shows that your heart has an attachment to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I remember our dear Sheikh uh, and friend Sheikh Muhammad Sharif rahimahullah ta'ala some years ago I remember him saying that he was once on a flight and I think it was a Hajj flight or Umar flight but I don't exactly remember the exact details but essentially the story was that there were a group of uh, it seemed like it was it was a Hajj or Umrah flight or something um, and they were and they were flying uh, somewhere and they hit turbulence and it was severe turbulence and as the plane hit turbulence and literally was dropping and, and you know people, things are going around and, and as, as happens in turbulence 
you know, people who are experienced in terms of flying and stuff, some of them can become slightly worried and anxious because they've never experienced this type of thing before and it's something which, you know, which is disconcerting. Uh, it is something which, uh, you know, some people uh, may panic. And so he said that it was amazing to see the way that different people responded. He said there were people there who immediately when this happened, they began to remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They said, Subhanallah, they said, Allahu Akbar, they said, La hawla wa la quwwata illa billah. They started saying, Inna lillahi wa inna ilihi rajiun, la ilaha illallah. You know, they're always constantly remembering Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then there are other people who are panicking and say other words or may swear or curse or do other things. Those are two different types of mindsets, different types of, of tarbiyah that have taken place between those two different groups of people. And so that's something which comes naturally, right? It's something which happens because a person is constantly heeding Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's reminder. And those people who constantly heed the reminder of Allah azza wa jal are then most likely to be the ones who remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in times of ease and in times of hardship. And Allah azza wa jal from his blessings and from his mercy and from his grace and bounty subhanahu wa ta'ala is that Allah azza wa jal favors and protects those people. That even in the most difficult of times, those are the people that Allah azza wa jal blesses to be able to, for example, just before death to say la ilaha illallah. And we've all heard the stories of someone who just very out of the blue, very unexpectedly, death comes to them. They get a heart attack or they're attacked or something, whatever it may happen. And people hear that the last words that they say are la ilaha illallah. Didn't need to be prompted, couldn't be reminded, didn't have the time to prepare, wasn't the circumstances where they could go and think about this. It was something which happened instantly. And they instantly had to respond. And the first response that comes to you is often the one that is most genuine and most sincere. It's the way that people respond. It's something which your brain doesn't have yet time to kick in, to, to, to your logic doesn't have time to, to go through the arguments and go through the pros and the cons and to go through that whole process that then allows you to choose a response. But it's something which happens immediately and then you respond in whichever way you're going to respond. And that is why Allah Azza wa Jal praises those people. الَّذِينَ إِذَا أَصَابَتْهُمْ مُصِيبَةٌ قَالُوا إِنَّا لِلَّهِ وَإِنَّا إِلَيْهِ رَاجِعُونَ Those who when calamity strikes them, they say, to Allah, we belong to Him, we shall return. And so that is something which Allah Azza wa says here that the people who are the people of Iman, the people of Taqwa, the people of Hashiyah, they are the people who are reminded. And they're the ones who benefit from the reminder. And the reminder, you know, the greatest of the reminders that we are referring to here is, or taking heed of the reminder, the greatest of those reminders is the reminder of the book of Allah Azza wa the Quran. That when they hear the verses of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it makes them stop, it makes them pause, it makes them reflect and contemplate. Al-Imam Al-Tabari rahimahullah ta'ala said something similar. He said, remind, Allah Azza is commanding the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam to remind. Uh, he said that, that the meaning is that you should remind with that which Allah Azza commanded you to remind with. And that is that, that the people should fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they should fear his punishment. Uh, Imam al-Mawardi rahimahullah ta'ala, he said that Allah azza wa jalla in this verse, he says that indeed the people of Khashya, who, you know, just as a general broad translation, we will say are the people who fear Allah azza wa jalla. And we'll come into, you know, in, in, into the definition of that word Khashya uh, in a short while in more detail. But just for the sake of, of a quick translation, we'll say that they are people who fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He says, that those people who fear Allah Azza wa Jalla, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala specifies them as the people who heed the reminder and who remember him. He said even though it is also possible that those who hope in Allah Azza wa Jalla are also reminded. Meaning it's not just fear, the act of fear of Allah Azza wa Jalla that causes a reminder. It's also hope in Allah Azza wa Jalla, hope in his reward that also causes a person to remind. He said however Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala here, he mentions the aspect of fear over the aspect of hope because it is more likely to produce the type of reminder that Allah Azza wa is referring to here. And that is a reminder that prompts a person into action. Normally people out of fear are more likely to respond than they are in terms of just wishes and hopes uh, and those types of things. And so he says, and that's perhaps the reason why Allah Azza wa uh, spoke about this in the context of Hashia as opposed to in the context of Raja, which is hope. Uh, Ibn Qayyim rahimahullah ta'ala, he said that the one who fears Allah Azza wa and, is, and remembers are those people who believe in the Akhirah. They know that that is their eternity or that that is their, uh, that, that, that is their final and real abode. 
He said, as for those people who don't believe in the hereafter, in the akhirah, he said, those are people who when things strike them, calamities come to them, difficulties and hardships approach, they say that this is just time, it's just life, it's just the way that things are. That this is life, it happens to us and it happens to other than us. And no doubt within time and within life, there's good and there's hardship. Right? There's times of ease and there's times of hardship. He said that's what people do when they don't believe in the Akhirah. They say, look, that's just life, you have to get on with it. He said, as for the one who believes in the Akhirah, then when they have hardships and difficulties, they consider this as a reminder from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And when they hear the verses and the reminder of Allah azza wa jal, then there are people who know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is addressing them and so they benefit from those reminders. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says here, say, The people of khashya are those people who will truly fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or heed the reminder of Allah azza wa jal. In, uh, in the book Al-Madarij al-Sadiqeen of Imam ibn Qayyim rahimahullah ta'ala, Madarij al-Sadiqeen uh, is a very amazing book. It's um, I have it uh, in, in my home library. It's like four or five volumes, depending on the edition that you buy. And essentially what Imam ibn Qayyim ta'ala did it's a book that speaks about purifying the soul and, and, and general like heart softening. And essentially, uh, it goes through all of the, the stages that a person can go through, all of the stages, the, in all of the actions of the heart, from them is al-khawf and from them is al-raja, hope and fear and sincerity and tawakkul and all of those different things that a person goes through in order to achieve the highest level of which is complete uh, servitude to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because the highest position that a person can attain in this world is the position of complete servitude. Right? That is the highest thing that we aspire to in terms of our worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to be the perfect slaves of Allah azza wa in terms of what it is that we can do. And so he goes through all of these issues uh, in his book. And one of the benefits of this is that similar terms that are mentioned in the Sharia or in the Quran and the Sunnah words that are very similar in terms of their meaning and therefore in the translation in English often we translate them as, as one and the same. He goes through the differences, the nuances in terms of why one is slightly different to the other. Why is this called this and that called that rather than them being one and the same thing. And that sometimes gets confusing in the English language because you see that the translation is one. It's one of the limitations that we have in English because to summarize the translation you just use a word. So you'll say for example khashya is fear. And khawf is also fear, right? Um, as Allah Azza wa Jalla says, we did in tafsir of Surah uh, Surah Quraysh, الذي يطعمهم من جوع وآمنهم من خوف. Right? Khawf also means fear. Khashya we often translate as fear as well. However, there is a distinction between the two, a nuance in the meaning between the two. The problem is in the English language, either you just choose a word, summarize the, the the translation, use the word just for the sake of brevity. Or then you have to go into the distinction in terms of detail. And some translators prefer to do that, but that obviously prolongs the work. It makes it very long because what you're essentially doing is rather than using a word for a word, you're using now a sentence or more for a word. And that's what you see often in translations. One of the reasons why uh, many people don't think that uh, the translation of the meanings of the Quran by Dr. Muhammad Muhsin Khan rahimahullah ta'ala is an easy read not that it's not a good authentic translation, but that it's an easy read. Um, is an easy read is because of this particular reason. That often what he will do is he will come to a concept or a word, and rather than just give it a one-word translation, he will put into parenthesis a whole long explanation, a whole long definition. And that's because he wants to be accurate, which I think is something which you know people dismiss or it's not something which people value. I often say if for a student of knowledge, it's a good translation. Because for a student of knowledge, we shouldn't be just looking for the easy read. We should be looking, especially once we come to study. I mean, obviously there's times when you just want an easy read in terms of translation because you want to reflect or you just want to quickly go through the meanings of the Quran. But in terms of a student for study purposes, like tafsir, for example, and like other things, uh, it's good to know because he will give you details and perhaps you won't find in a different translation. Uh, unless you're going to like research and go further into this. Um, so that's like a challenge that we have, whereas other translators will simply use a one-word translation, and that's obviously easier in terms of it being uh, easier to read and, and what have you and so on. And so that's something which you know people have the different methodologies uh, in terms of, of doing that. Um, so Ibn al-Qayyim, he speaks about the difference between these two terms that we just mentioned, al-Khawf and al-Khashya. 
and both, as I said, are translated in English as being fear. He said al-khawf is when the heart uh, feels terror, feels scared because of some evil that it thinks or anticipates happening. So al-khawf is when the heart feels uh, scared or feels terrified because of some evil or some uh, disliked thing that it thinks will take place. Like, for example, Allah said in Surah Quraysh, He gave them security after their fear. Their fear was the Quraysh that they would be attacked by other Arab tribes. That's fear. You fear for your life, you fear for your family, you fear for your health, your wealth, your property, your land, your, your possessions. That is fear. So it's something, a scared feeling in the heart because of a fear that you think uh, of, of some hardship or some harm that will come to you and take place. Because of that, you have fear in your heart. Al-Khashya, he said, however, is more, uh, it is more specific. And therefore, it is something which is of a, khawf uh, is the general term for fear. Khashya is something more specific. And that is why Allah, Azza wa Jalla, when he describes the scholars in the Qur'an, he gives to them the word khashya. He says, Allah says in the Quran, "Innama yakhshallaha min ulama." Those who truly fear Allah from His slaves are the ulama, the scholars. He said, and that is because this khashya is khawf with ma'rifa. It is khawf being scared, but scared based upon knowledge, based upon knowing, and based upon knowledge of, of the, of, for example, in this case of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. So khawf is something when you are scared because it's a natural, you know, it's a natural thing to be scared of. You're scared for your life. You're scared of, for example, a predator. You're scared of, uh, you know, certain diseases and so on. That's a natural response to those things. Khashya is when you are scared of something, but it is based on a specific type of knowledge. And it is not just knowledge that then makes you, because you can have knowledge and increase in fear, right? You can have more knowledge of your enemy and that increases you in fear. But the knowledge that's referring to here is knowledge that helps you to overcome that particular, uh, or not overcome necessarily, but helps guide your fear in a way that will allow you, he says, to have tranquility in the heart and be at peace. And so when Allah describes the scholars as being the people of Khashya, they are the ones who most fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it is a fear that increases a person in knowledge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, increases the person in servitude, increases the person in gratitude, in love of Allah Azzawajal, in hope in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And therefore, as a result, it causes the heart, even though it is a heart of fear, to also have within it tranquility. And that is why the people of Iman, at the time of death, Allah Azzawajal refers to them as being people who have no khawf, they fear, they neither fear nor do they despair. And so Allah Azzawajal removes from them that fear of some hardship or some evil that may strike because they had in this life khashya of Allah Azzawajal. And that is the fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala based upon the knowledge that if I do wrong, I do haram, then Allah Azzawajal will punish me. But at the same time, that if I don't do that evil, then Allah Azzawajal will protect me, He will reward me, He will honor me. And it is that knowledge that allows them then to take that fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and channel it in a way that is pleasing to him subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is why, as we've said before, the scholar said that the believer needs that element of fear just as he needs the element of hope. They are like the two wings of the believer. And so the believer balances between these two things. He balances between, or she balances between these two things. Uh, and that's why he says uh, that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa when he described himself, right, when he, when, when he described himself sallallahu alayhi wa because some of the companions, the hadith is a long hadith, but some of the companions would say that the Prophet ﷺ, yes, he prays at night and he sleeps. Yes, he fasts some days and he doesn't fast other days. But that's because he's Allah's messenger and Allah's forgiven him for everything, all of his sins, past, present and future. As for us, then we're not of that level. We, don't, we haven't reached that status. We're not of that, of that status in the sight of Allah We haven't been forgiven for our sins. So surely we need to do more, right? That's the logical uh, way of thinking about this. The Prophet وسلم, Allah forgave him for everything. But despite that, he still prayed every night. And he still used to fast uh, many days of the year. And he still used to, you know, he still uh, did other things that were optional. So as for us, because Allah hasn't forgiven us for any of those sins, surely we should be doing even more than him. So some of the companions said that they would pray every night, all night long, and not sleep. 
Another said that they would fast every single day without breaking or taking any days of fasting. Another said and pledged that they wouldn't marry, that they would dedicate themselves and their lives to the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam heard this, he became angry and he said, إِنِّي أَتْقَاكُمْ لِلَّهِ وَأَشَدُّكُمْ لَهُ خَشْيَةً I am the one who fears Allah most or has more piety of Allah Azza wa Jal from amongst you and have, has the most khashya of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, meaning my actions are based upon knowledge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is the beauty of khashya, that it is based upon knowledge, that you fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that fear is based upon knowledge. So the response is also based upon, upon knowledge. And so, for example, when you're going to channel, channel that, that fear of Allah Azza wa Jalla, that piety or that awareness of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, it is channeled in the way that is pleasing to Allah Azza wa Jalla, legislated by Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. And that is why the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam therefore is teaching us that if you want to attain that level of khashya, then you can't stay awake all night and pray because that's not the Sunnah. You can't fast each and every single day of the year because that's not the Sunnah. And so, therefore, what is the Sunnah and what is the practice that is left by us to us? by the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and that is more pleasing to Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala and that is what khashya is. Khashya is based upon that and that is why Ibn Qayyim Rahimahullah Ta'ala he says in, in, uh, in conclusion he said therefore khawf is the terror or the scared feeling of the heart. It is the terror that the heart feels whereas the second which is khashya is still a type of, of, of fear but it is something which allows a person to have tranquility in their heart and for their heart to come to rest. And that is something therefore which is amazing about this religion of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so that is the difference between the two, between khawf and between between khashya. Uh, and that is why, you know, sometimes for example, a person may fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala like a, a person may fear the fire. You have Muslims sometimes who fear the hellfire to such a degree that they lose all hope of Allah Azza's mercy. They live in a constant state of fear. And they fear, and I've met people uh, like this who constantly have this, this such high level of, of terror of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his punishment that there's been left for them no, no sign of hope. They have no avenue to hope. And so it is, you know, as we know, human nature to sin and to make mistakes and to be forgetful and to fall short. And not each and every single salah that you're going to offer is going to have the maximum level of khushu'ah. And not every single action that you perform will have the maximum level of ikhlas and sincerity. And not every single action that you do will be according to the highest level of conforming to the sunnah of the Prophet Not every wudu will be a wudu that is complete in each and every single aspect. That's just not the way human nature is. You will have aspects in which you do well and aspects in which you don't do so well. And so the Prophet told us that this is the way that we have to learn to manage our situation. But there are some people who because of that, because they're constantly falling uh, short, they're constantly falling short, then that's something which is, you know, which they, um, which they, which then leads them to feeling that there is no hope for them, there is no avenue for them to turn back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and that is very dangerous. That is from the greatest traps of shaitan, when a person feels that because Allah's punishment is so severe that there is no harm, there is no hope for them. There is no hope for them, there's no way out, uh, you know, there's no, uh, there's no, uh, there's no sense of making repentance and so on, and that be, that becomes then uh, something which for them is very very dangerous as well. And so that balance is extremely important. And so khashya gives you that balance because it is the fear based upon knowledge, and part of that knowledge will be that yes, when you make mistakes, you make tawbah. Yes, when you have errors, you turn to Allah Azza wa Jalla and seek forgiveness and make istighfar. And yes, there are ways and means and methods by which to attain Allah Subhanahu wa Taala's pleasure and his reward subhanahu wa ta'ala. But that is essentially uh, the statement uh, abbrevi- abbreviated uh, from Madarij al-Sadiqeen of Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullahu ta'ala. And so Allah Azza wa Jal says here, says, Those who have fear of Allah Azza wa Jal or stand in awe of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will heed the reminder. And so khashya therefore, you know, in English is fear, fear, with, fear based upon knowledge or awe of Allah Azza wa Jal based upon knowledge or you know, often means like a level of respect and humility and humbleness as well. And so all of those words are like in there in, in terms of the meaning. As I said, therefore you either just choose fear, uh, you know, which is probably okay just for like an average translation or just like to, you know, translate for like, uh, just like for, for anyone and everyone or in a khutbah or something where it's just unless you're going to go into that level of detail uh, in the khutbah. 
but obviously for a greater and deeper understanding then it's important to understand and to dissect and to try to understand the differences and nuances between these terminologies that we find in the Quran and the Sunnah. In verse number 11, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then speaks about the other type of people or the other group of people and those are the people that won't heed the reminder. They won't benefit from it. So Allah Azza wa says, فَذَكِّرْ إِنَّ فَعَتِ الذِّكْرَى Remind if it will benefit. Allah Azza wa says, سَيَذَكَّرُ مَنْ يَخْشَى And the people of Khashya will heed the reminder. They will definitely benefit. Or, you know, also that you should remind people of that which will give them Khashya of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's essentially what Qatada rahmatullah ta'ala was saying. So it's like, as we said, it's like that circle thing. You remind people of Allah Azza wa it increases them of Khashya. And as they have more Khashya, they are reminded more of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and those two things increase as they increase uh, one and the same together. Uh, there's a question here Suraya is asking, is Khashya the same as Khushu'? There is, they, they are very similar. So the general rule in Arabic language is that if the root word, the letters of the root word are similar or very, very close together, then the root word is, is one and the same more or less or the general meaning or the root meaning is very similar. So khashiya and khasha'a both have the kha and sheen. And so the aspect of, of fear of Allah Azza wa Jal along with knowledge based upon knowledge and knowing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his rules and his religion and his commands, that is the uh, the, the, the common denominator between those two words, khashiya and khushu'. The difference being that khushu' uh, is more an action in terms that it's something which manifests upon the body in, in a person then, for example, being attentive being uh, being humbled, showing a level of humility, showing a level of, of attentiveness and concentration as well. Whereas khashya is more to do with the action of the heart. Khushu' is something which you can say. That is why Allah says, الَّذِينَ هُمْ فِي صَلَاتِهِمْ خَاشِعُونَ You can often see the people of khushu' in their salah because they're not going to be the ones who are constantly fidgeting. Right? So some people in their salah, you can tell they don't really have much khushu' because they're scratching their beard and they're fixing their scarf and they're constantly fidgeting and they're looking around here and there and you can just tell they're agitated. You can sometimes tell when a person is praying and their mind is wondered. Their mind has wondered. They don't, I don't know, who, who knows what they're thinking about and what's, what's, what's preoccupying their mind but you can tell that their mind isn't in the salah. You can just tell sometimes if you look at some people you know, it's not that you should actively go around looking at people while they're praying, but sometimes you see people and they're praying and you can tell this person doesn't seem like and Allah knows best that they're concentrating. Their mind just seems elsewhere, it's wandered. And that's because they're constantly they're fidgeting or they look like they're just like doing something which which is which is which isn't to do with the salah. And so therefore that's um you know that's something which you have to be like wary of. Whereas a person was for sure, it is based upon knowledge, it is based upon fear of Allah, but it translates into a level of of concentration and uh, humbleness within the salah before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So in verse number one, Allah, uh, verse number 11 rather, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then speaks about the second group of people and that is the group of people who don't benefit from the dhikra, from the reminder. And so Allah says, But it will be ignored by the most wicked. It will be ignored by the most wicked. Uh, Sahih International, but the wretched one will avoid it. Uh, Mufti Taqi it will be avoided by the most wretched one and um, Muhammad Muhsin Khan also it will be avoided by the wretched. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says therefore that the people who don't benefit from the Quran are the people who are the wretched ones. Qatada rahimahullah ta'ala he said uh, he said by Allah no one turns away from this dhikr this reminder thinking that they have no need of it and having enmity and hatred towards its people, except that they will be from amongst the most wretched of people. So he says that the one who turns away from this dhikr, from this reminder, zuhden fi, thinking that they have no need of it or being uh, you know, abstaining from it, bughdan li ahlihi, having enmity for its people, meaning the people of the Quran and the people of the reminder, they will be from amongst the most ashqiya, from the most wretched of people. And so that's different therefore, from the person who has khashya. The person who has khashya is reminded of Allah, increases them in remembering Allah that remembrance of Allah, as we said, increases them in khashya. This is the person who turns away. And that simple act of being heedless, being ignorant of the Quran, turning away from the reminder, therefore doesn't allow that circle to form. It breaks the circle. And because the circle is broken, 
then they don't fear Allah Azza wa Jal. They're not reminded of Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala. Rather, their circle is a different one, and that is that they become more and more heedless and ignorant and negligent of the Book of Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala. And by doing so, they become more and more heedless and negligent of Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala, of Allah Azza wa Jal. And there are people like this, right, who spend their lives, even though they're Muslim or they were born Muslim and they're Muslim by name, they have very little to do with Islam in terms of they probably rarely pray. Maybe once, twice a year in Eid. Or maybe, for example, in the, they're in a group and sometimes they have to pray, they may pray. And even then, you will often find those people trying to avoid the prayer. They'll leave, like, you know, just before the Salah starts. Or they'll come, you know, sometimes it's, or, or, or the most that they might, might attend, for example, is a janazah because it's that kind of event that people just go to, uh, you know, because it's considered to be like a social uh, expectation on people that they have to go and pray the janazah prayer. And you can tell they're uncomfortable. You can tell they don't really know what they're doing. You can tell they don't know the du'as. You can tell, and that's because they live this life of negligence. And so now when the time has come, and I've had people who have come to me, and it's the janazah of their own parents, the janazah of a very close family member, a very close friend, and they don't know what to do. They don't know what to say. And that is a level of negligence. And this is just like a small aspect, not that the janazah is the most important thing in our religion, because if a person is praying the five daily prayers, the janazah is actually something which is it isn't even an obligation, an obligation upon individuals in that sense. It is a collective obligation upon the general community that if a few of them were to perform it, then the rest of them wouldn't even have to. It's not an individual obligation like Fajr and Dhuhr and Asr and Maghrib and Isha. But just because it's an example where you see a person who's usually oblivious of the masjid, doesn't come and pray, doesn't have anything to do with the masjid, but now they have to do so because they're in that place and because it's expected of them you know, especially a man can't just go and sit at the back whilst the people are praying. It doesn't have any reason. There's no valid excuse for them to do so. And so you find them extremely awkward in terms of what it is that they're going to have to do in the salah. And so that's an example of someone who is a Muslim. And then obviously you have those people who are completely negligent of Allah's remembrance because they disbelieve in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But that is also something which then increases. Just as the khashya of Allah increases a person in good, in remembrance, then likewise the negligence of being negligent of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala increases a person in not remembering Allah in being heedless of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is why Allah uh, mentions in the Quran those people who are, you know, and it is often mentioned as as, as being the people of, of disbelief and also the people of hypocrisy. Those people who are negligent of, of their salah. And it is, as, as I think we may have mentioned before, but as I'm sure most of you or many of you know anyway. And that is why it is the position of many of the scholars were of the position. Uh, you know, just I know it is something which people don't like to hear. It's very difficult to listen to. And it's very, you know, it's not something which people like. People like to take. And there, are, there is a difference of opinion on the issue of the people who don't pray, leave the salah. And some scholars make the distinction between the one who does it intentionally and the one who does it just out of laziness or the one who rejects the concept of salah as opposed to the one who accepts it but just out of laziness, they don't pray and whatever. The uh, the fact of the matter being, irrespective of the person's intention and their motive, it was the position of many of the scholars of the salaf that that person has left the fold of Islam just by merely missing the prayer. And some of them said to the extent of missing one salah on purpose, meaning that they don't pray and they don't make qadat, they don't even try to make it up, you know, even if someone's lazy and they didn't pray it at the time, but then they made it up, that's slightly different. But someone just completely abandons that salah, just one salah, they would consider that be enough enough to take a person outside of the fold of Islam. And there are positions of that, uh, you know, of that to that effect, from all the way back to the time of the companions of the Allah Alright, and 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 then from the subsequent generations and so on. It's the position of a number of the madhahib and a number of the scholars of Islam and even Taymiyyah rahimahullah and others from amongst some of them, were extremely strict in this regard. They were of the position that even one salah is enough for a person to leave the fold of Islam. And that's because Allah Azza wa links this. You know, the salah, if you're not doing it, means that you're so heedless and negligent of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that you don't remember Allah Azza wa at all. And obviously there is a difference of opinion. So, you know, this isn't like to say that, that's, uh, that, that those people are not Muslim or anything of that nature, but just to show the severity of the issue. And the Muslim is a person when they see, you know, if, if, if people had sense and they had fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, even a small amount of fear of Allah azza wa jal, and they had this sense of, you know, I have to go and stand before Allah and be held to account and so on, 
the fact that there is even a good number of scholars and companions of that position, even if you felt that it was the weak position, even if you felt that it was, wasn't the position that was the strongest, but the fact that there were companions, a good number of them, and a good number of the ummah in terms of scholarship that were of that position, that should be enough to make someone just like think, you know what, it's best just to stay away from that. At the very least, it is from the grey matters. It is from those mutashabihat that the Prophet وسلم, said, the halal is clear, the haram is clear, and everything between is a grey matter. Stay away from those um, ambiguous grey issues. At the very least, that's the very least that you can say about this, uh, You know, even if you thought that it was to be from the weaker positions. And so therefore you stay away from it. Don't, don't even go close to it. Why would you even put yourself at risk of that that on Yawm Al-Qiyam Allah says, no, actually that, that, that wasn't the position. My Sharia, that's not, that, that's not what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chose. Because the religion of Allah can only be one amongst those positions. You choose a scholar's position and you, you, you take them. And obviously that's, that's what you do. But at the same time, a person's own level of Iman and Taqwa and so on. As the Prophet said, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, qalbak, ask your heart. And what your heart has tranquility in, it settles that this position is something which seems to be uh, more pleasing to Allah that's what you should follow. And Allah knows what your heart is telling you and what then you choose to do or not to do. And so therefore, the point here being that a person leaves as they become more and more negligent of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they become more and more distant from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is what Allah says, Al-Ashqa, these are the people of wretchedness. And clearly, first and foremost, they are the people of disbelief, the people of hypocrisy, but even amongst Muslims, there are people who unfortunately reach that level of heedlessness, that even though they're not from the people of, of the fire, obviously, but they are people who go very close towards the edge of Islam in terms of their heedlessness and in terms of their negligence. And Allah Azza wa knows best him, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgive us all and keep us all steadfast. And Imam al-Tabari, rahimahullah ta'ala, he said, meaning that the one who leaves the reminder or ignores the reminder, will be the most wicked or wretched of the two groups. So the two groups being the people of Khashia and the people of of Shaqawa. So the people of good and the people of wretchedness. So the people of reminder, those who benefit from the reminder and those who ignore the reminder of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah Azza wa Jal says in verse number 12, Allah Azza wa says in verse number 12, after saying, they will be ignored, it, is, it will be, meaning the reminder will be ignored by the most wicked. He says, subhanahu wa ta'ala, الَّذِي يَصْلَ النَّارَ الْكُبْرَى In verse number 12, who will enter the great fire. And that's the translation of, of Professor Abdul Halim, the translation of uh, Sahih International, is he who will enter and burn in the greatest fire and Mufti Taqi, who will enter the biggest fire, and Muhsin Khan, who will enter the great fire, and then in, in parenthesis, and will be made to taste its burning. Um, Al-Hassan al-Basri, rahimahullah ta'ala, and the scholar of the Salaf by the name of Yahya ibn Salam, Yahya ibn Salam, rahimahumullah, they said that the lesser fire is the fire of the dunya. It is known as the Naru Sughra. The lesser fire is the fire of the dunya. And Al-Kubra, which is the one that is being mentioned in this verse, الذي يصل النار الكبرى, the greater fire is the fire of Jahannam. The greater fire is the, great, is the fire of, of Jahannam. And so when Allah says, الذي يصل النار الكبرى, who will enter the great fire, meaning the fire of the hereafter. Not the fire of this life, but the fire of the hereafter. And I think we mentioned uh, before the hadith of the Prophet وسلم, and the distinctions or some of the distinctions that he made between the fire of the dunya and the fire of the akhirah. For example, that the fire of the dunya is only one of 70 parts of the fire of the hereafter. And so therefore it is something which is extremely hot. It is extremely, extremely hot. Um, and, and we've mentioned verses before in the tafsir that we've done of numerous surahs now, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions the fire and how it will burn and how it will how its flames will, 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 will encompass and how its severity or its, its, its wrath and its, its raging heat and fire and flames will never diminish. All of those verses 
that we've covered in previous surahs in terms of the descriptions that we've had so far concerning the fire of hell. May Allah Azza wa save us from that. And from those is the hadith of the Prophet وسلم, that he spoke about the fire in terms of its size and how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, will command that it be brought forth on Yawm Al-Qiyamah with 70,000 chains. On each chain will be 70,000 angels pulling it. So 70,000 times 70,000 uh, in terms of the number of angels just needed to pull and drag out the fire because of its sheer size. And we know also from the Quran and the Sunnah that the fire is such a vast creation uh, that Allah has created for the people that will inhabit it for eternity and also for the people that will stay in it for a short while from the believers that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made it so vast in its size that it will not reach its fill until Allah commands it to do so. And when it will be said on Yawm Al-Qiyamah, as Allah says subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-Qaf, uh, on the day that we will say to the fire, are you full? And it will say, are there any more to come? Is there any increase? And the Prophet said, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, that it will continue to ask for more and more until Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will place his foot above it. And when it does so, when he does so, then the fire will restrict or constrict upon itself. And then it will say, قطن قط, enough, O oh Allah, enough, O oh Allah. And so that is when the fire will have its fill. Uh, and the Prophet told us وسلم, that, the Prophet, that, Allah, that, that the fire of hell complained to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it said, ba'di ba'da, uh, ila That the fire complained to its Lord and said, ba'di ba'da, Parts of me had devoured other parts. And so Allah allowed for it to take two breaths, one in the summer and one in the winter. He said, وسلم, so therefore, the uh, the severe heat of the summer and the bitter cold of the winter that you face it is from the breathing or the breaths of Jahannam and that is because as we said before even the bitter cold has within it a burning sensation anyone that's had frostbite or anyone that's had severe cold there is a burning sensation that takes place within your limbs your fingers and your toes and so on and so even bitter cold has within it that type of sensation uh, and also the Prophet وسلم, used to, as we know from the Sunnah, as is mentioned in the books of Hadith and Fiqh and so on, from the uh, the general ruling is, as we know, that when it comes to Salah, you offer the Salah at its earliest time. The two exceptions, generally speaking, to that rule is number one, Salatul Isha, that you delay uh, towards, you know, as, as, as late as you can. For example, if it's in the Masjid, uh, if they delay it, it's better, or if you're praying by yourself to delay it, it's better. And the second salah is the dhuhr salah in extreme heat. The dhuhr salah in extreme heat. The Prophet ﷺ used to say, abridu, meaning make it cooler before you pray the dhuhr. So if dhuhr, for example, just say dhuhr comes in at 10 past 12, and you're in a country like Saudi Arabia or Egypt, one of these countries where it's extremely hot at that time. The Prophet, as the Prophet ﷺ was in Medina, he used to say, let it be cooler, meaning give it half an hour, give it for, let the sun move past that point, and let it cool down a bit and then come and pray. Because he used to say that the severe heat is from Fayh Jahannam. It is from the venting of the fire. And so therefore these are you know, a number of just hadith and surahs and verses that give you just a glimpse, an indication of the severity of that fire. May Allah Azzawajal save us from that. And that is why uh, Allah Azzawajal describes it as being Al-Kubra, the great fire. Al-Ladhi Yaslannar Al-Kubra, who will enter the great fire. Al-Imam Al-Tabari, uh, rahimahullah ta'ala, he said, those people, meaning Al-Ladhi Yaslannar, those who will enter, he said, those are the people who lam tanfa'ahum al-dhikra. Those are the people who didn't benefit from the reminder, they ignored the reminder of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They are the ones who will go into the fire of the hal, and that is Al-Nar al-Kubra, he said, the great fire. And what is meant by the great fire? meaning that it is the greatest in terms of its heat and in terms of the pain that it will inflict. So it is the greatest or the biggest in terms of the heat that it will face, as we mentioned in the hadith of the Prophet wasallam that the fire of the dunya is only one-seventieth of the fire of the hereafter, and also in terms of the pain and in terms of the punishment that it will inflict, because as we know from the various verses in the Quran and the hadith in the sunnah of the Prophet wasallam that the pain and punishment that Allah Azza wa has placed in the fire is something which a person can only imagine. 
in terms of of it and to give just an indication of that the prophet told us وسلم, that the least of the people who will be punished of the fire the least punishment in the fire is a person who remains in the fire for eternity the fire will only reach to their ankles and because of it their brain will boil and so their whole body will be completely covered and writhing writhing in pain and in punishment and it will literally boil the brain in their head and that is something which they will continuously face for the rest of eternity may Allah save us from that and that is the least of people in the fire they are the least of the people of punishment in the fire let alone those who will have more and more and more and then obviously those who will be in the depths of the fire as Allah mentions in the Quran concerning for example the hypocrites and others Okay, inshallah ta'ala, I think we will we will uh, stop and pause there, inshallah ta'ala, for today. And then inshallah ta'ala, from next week, we will continue with verse number 13. Uh, if there's any questions, anyone has any questions, inshallah, we can take a couple. If not, then we will conclude for today. If there's no questions, um, let me just quickly check. Yeah, it is very challenging to translate. Uh, Salange is saying that Khashya uh, and whatever, these terms are very difficult to translate. I think translating works of Arabic into English, especially Islamic works and so on. It's not an easy thing to do. I think it's very difficult and it takes a level of um, of concentration and so on. It's just not easier to do. I think some people, sometimes we, uh, you know, we kind of minimize the importance of translation and the effort that it takes. Um, and also, I think, uh, you know, just experience and knowledge and, and all these things is important when it comes to translation. So, for example, those people who translate the Quran or the major works of Hadith, or even like other works just generally of the scholars and so on, it is very difficult to do. Um, not least because you know it's something which, which requires a level of study and, and diligence. So may Allah Azzawajal make things easy for us all. Barakallahu feekum. Inshallah I think we'll stop there. Wa sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Wa alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.